0: Thank be here welcome to catch the roundabout why crimson oh why, crimson? why why king crimson why king well i mean it's a big existential question but let's stick to the band on what um what it's all about and hopefully this little podcast does we i hear a lot of podcasts on king crimson and, and i hear all sorts of inaccuracies man i hear all sorts of people that it just gets things totally wrong. But since we're kind of somewhat of the error, we'll talk a bit about it, right? Yeah, good, good, good so, idea, good topic, very so,
1: <sighs> uh, eclectic. And uh, by the way, mm-hmm. as you're doing an introduction, I'm going to bring a full 70s Crimson collection, except for the first one, so that can bring
0: more inspiration.
1: So take it from here.
0: Well, that's bloody go. awesome. Yeah. So King Crimson, one of the biggest influences for me. I would say my favorite band on many days a week, depends on which side of the bed I wake up on, but in terms of King Crimson, starting as a progressive rock band in 1969, still functioning today in a different format is what we'll end up getting into. For people that uh, are less familiar, In the Court of the Crimson King, the first album, the seminal album, which has uh, Greg Lake on vocals and bass, Ian McDonald on Mellotron, uh, Flute and Sax, Michael Giles on drums, and Robert Fripp, the uh, leader of the band who plays guitar and Mellotron. That album in the Court of the Crimson King is considered... It, I'll call it my favorite album. That I'll say easily. I put that number one on, on any list in my head. I'm sure it's on others as well. But the thing about King Crimson, why well, I thought it was a big journey when... Um, being introduced to the band. I I find it mind-blowing when I was like 11 or 12 years old, and my brother is the one who really introduced me to King Crimson. But But I got three albums thrown at me at the same time. One was in the Court of the Crimson King with Greg Lake on vocal, right? So I knew about ELP, and I was like, wow, this is amazing. Then I was introduced to the live USA album, which was a live album with John Wetton on lead vocals and bass, with Bill Bruford on drums. And that album, I mean, two major vocalists. And by that time, you gotta realize like, you know, I knew who LP were, and I knew John Wetton's work with UK and, and other things, but Asia was just coming, you know, strong at that time. So John Wetton was uh, on the front of people's minds. But at the same time, there was the reformation of the 1981 version of King Crimson where you had Robert Fripp and uh, Bill Bruford joining together again, Tony Levin on bass, with Adrian Ballou as a second guitar line and vocalist. I found that to be like fascinating. I was like, wow, this music's very different. Yeah, sure, it had a link to something like The Talking Heads and things like that. But So three different eras of Crimson coming at me at the same time, I couldn't believe the band had the same name. And not they didn't all sound exactly the same so you know being into the band and then following them finally seeing them live in the 90s seeing them live again in the 2003 and then in the past few years
1: yeah you saw them live uh, they did that kind of almost covering their entire career yeah
0: i saw them four times that's the first time that they did that in
1: in concert so they, they went from like yeah early to like Eighties to the current stuff,
0: to. the, totally from '69 all the way through. So mm-hmm. the I've seen the current incarnation of King Crimson as a eight-piece, sometimes nine-piece, uh, four times since 2014. I just saw them in the past year, and with Jacko JackoSync on vocals, mm-hmm. uh, with people like Mel Collins who hasn't been in the band since mm-hmm. the early 1970s. But you know, if I were just going down. You know basic rock facts for people say hey listen to king crimson because it's fascinating you can take greg lake for the first two albums of king crimson uh third album i'm not gonna go crazy about gordon haskell but there is a nice guest vocal from john anderson from yes on that album that often gets overlooked Mm -hmm. uh fourth album bas burrell uh, yeah, you know bass player vocalist singer there, yeah. bad that's company the... everyone knows him from bad company he ended up being the best musician in in me in, in technical terms in bad company but in king uh, crimson mean, in a way i mean they're all
1: i think what makes bad company is really a combination between this right one. i think paul rogers and mick ralph's they they wrote the music in you know it gets the, all over the thing. but 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 boss Ralph did write some songs. right they were there's he, one called Gone, Gone, Gone. So yeah. He
0: wrote, wrote at least one song, really. But, but they credit, like, when he came to King Crimson, he couldn't even play the bass. They just yeah. they just knew his vocals. Robert Robert Fripp, Robert Fripp taught way. him how to play bass. He he got onto it quick. And then what's weird is in, in Bad Company, he was considered like, hey, I can play a fretless bass. I can do this. I can do that. He was great. And he, he, he really brought, uh, yeah. you know, he brought the sound to that band. I mean, he made it what it uh, Right, what it was at the end. And then, if you take uh, Ian McDonald in the who was in the first on the first King Crimson album, in the quarter of the Crimson King," and then finished on the Red album with John Wetton, um, you had someone who was a, a big forming member of Foreigner, and he was on he was on three albums of for Foreigner yeah, and, and contributing to hits. He had some solo hits. albums and stuff. Yeah. He, he had I some solo it. albums. And then, if you take um, so you take let's say you know jumping around to. You know, Adrian Ballou, not just even having solo albums, but having played with Frank Zappa, David Bowie, Talking Heads, and then playing at King Crimson for three albums in the 80s, and then and then doing some in the in the 90s, and then in the 2000s, and then there was a break, and then there was a, this grand vision of Robert Fripp to say, hey, why don't I get somebody else to play vocals and guitar that could do everything? Greg Lake, John Wetton, Gordon Haskell, Boz Burrell, <laughs> uh, you know, yeah, uh, adrian adrian baluda to, to an extent and then do all the errors together tony levin playing bass covering all the bass playing of those errors which is fantastic mm-hmm. and then using a three drum frontline attack which who saw that coming and then you know with besides mel collins and uh, i mean this is a crazy idea of a band that started in 1969 and again had some stops and starts right mm-hmm. some kind of temporary breakups there are many things, and they're not ever one thing. They're not one lineup. And, well, you can get addicted to one lineup. You get addicted to several lineups. So if Robert Fripp is the common thread, what's his what's his contribution to culture through King Crimson besides, like, many things besides even pop music when people hear Heroes by David Bowie? So King Crimson, for me, are, are a band that touches the, the mind and the heart at the same time because every time Robert Fripp tries to do something um to twist your brain in terms of instrumental one of the vocalist writers is always trying to grab your attention Mm -hmm. and try to bring out the best of their caressive uh, songwriting skills you know so those are my initial thoughts on why crimson so i'm sure you have some too Uh, i mean
1: that's what does it for me he had some great great singers there he had so many musicians that that I uh, I loved from other bands. So for me it was always kind of connections band. And as you said, uh, Boz Burrell was one of them, and Bad Company was really important band for me. And then you had John Wetton, and at that time I was listening to Uriah Heap from uh, from that like mid '70s era. He was with them, and then he was in Wishbone Ash as well. And then Boz Burrell was wait did Boz Burrell do some Wishbone Ash I think. He did
0: that. If he did, I didn't know. Right. I don't think well, he did it?
1: Did you? Maybe well, you're wishing I'm him gonna, into the band. I was on Google that.
0: Uh, <laughs> I, think had, I think there was one... Uh, but that lead vocal of uh, John Wetton and Uriah but, uh, Heep for One Way or Another, that's... Oh, yeah. That is no joke.
1: something.
0: <laughs> you know, you have something here. I'll just make a quick mention of... the Because we're talking about, uh, let's say, Boz Burrell. The, uh, the King Crimson album, Earthbound, which is a live album that was... Uh, I guess Robert Fripp kind of first released it somewhat uh, begrudgingly because I think he said he got it from a bootlegger of some sort. This album is Nick Cave's favorite album
1: of oh, King... of thanks. One of his
0: favorite albums ever. But it's definitely his favorite King Crimson album. I love it. <laughs> and, and, you know, when you have someone say this... He said this is one of the most important possessions that he has. And if you think about Robert Fripp playing with Nick Cave on the Grinderman song... Um, uh, Heathen Child, that's the name of the song. There was a Heathen Child remix where it just opens with Robert Fripp doing a a massively uh, vicious guitar part and then they extend the song and Fripp is just going off. It's just nice to know that you could have in the same universe a Nick Cave and a Robert Fripp. When people try to um, say what's contemporary and I'm going to go on record as saying I don't think they know what they're talking about because if you look at, take Robert Fripp, he slips out of... The mm-hmm. biggest like King Crimson monstrosity progressive rock band in the 70s. And where does he reappear years later? Reappears with David Bowie. He even guested with The Damned on stage, one of these that's seminal right. punk bands. He also guested with The Stranglers on stage when Hugh Cornwell oh, that, went to jail for drugs. That's a um, good he, uh, he went uh, on I didn't know that. He went on stage with Blondie. Again, again. With Blondie. With Blondie. He also guests on the, the song uh, iZimbra, uh, Talking Heads for Fear of Music. Mm-hmm. He starts playing on the opening cut. And you know that's where um, David Byrne and, and Brian Eno started to introduce the, uh, the African rhythm flavors to Talking Heads. And Robert Fripp has some nice punishing play. So there's a lot going on with a guy who looks like a school teacher, basically, when he you know wears his little spectacles and keeps his hair cropped and wears a suit. But he sails from progressive rock through the punk movement into the new wave movement and then finds a bridge back to his own version of King Crimson. Mm -hmm. And so it's looking what people have been and what have they touched on. And when they touch on things, it's like sprinkling fairy dust on Mm -hmm. it. You can hear little pieces of King Crimson and other things, right? There's anything John Wetton did afterwards. We're tracing his voice and his bass playing ability to things we can reckon to a King Crimson. Mm -hmm. Bill Bruford, same thing after Yes, we can hear him do uh, anything he did, even if he joined Genesis, UK, his solo group, we always hear a little rat-tat-tat of that snare drum that we like in Yes, and we go, oh, wow, King Crimson, unique. So that's why it's a special band. It's like you can spend a brief period of time in it and then leave an indelible impression. It leaves it on you, the musician, and then you're leaving it on the listener, and then what, like in life. People go, oh, I hate that album I did. But then they revisit it like 30 years later, mm-hmm. 40 years later. In the case of things Robert Fripp looked at to do in the mm-hmm. past years, he's like, oh, hey, let's drag out circus. I mean, he, he kept uh, musical
1: quality. I mean, whatever whatever he did, he went through styles. and But it was good music.
0: Absolutely.
1: And just to uh, just to fix the thing, I, I said uh, Buzz Burrell, and I was thinking of Trevor Boulder. We're that gonna we're gonna cut you a break.
0: Was the uh, was the one uh, with uh, um mm-hmm. Yes, and then also we know him from Uriah Heep and David Bowie. Yeah, Spider Someone. Yeah, I mean That's, he really he's did. a <laughs> okay. Spider I uh, even though a, a, a listener can't see it, I and am impressed with uh, the, uh, with 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 Sasha's Sasha has been loyal to vinyl, so vinyl has been loyal to him, and he has. Uh, He's got pretty much the the, King, the core King Crimson catalog, and I have to say
1: this thanks to my friend Todd, who is an amazing music lover and a good friend who introduced me to lots of good music as well. But uh, when he moved back to Japan, he left me his entire King Crimson collection, <laughs> which I cherish
0: still. This uh, much no, to cherish, to- but think about let's say let's put it to pop culture someone's tuning into this podcast right now going hey i don't know i don't know if i care about king crimson and i don't even know if i want to keep listening to this podcast but you know what based on their age if they like the song let's say uh power from kanye west which she's this 21st century <laughs> schizoid man i mean what made him pick that he knew that that song literally had power and he could have picked anything else because when robert fripp said hey i'm gonna fight you legally he could have picked up power by rainbow yeah. by <laughs> he could have picked anything he picks he picks uh 21st century schizoid man the iconic pounding song with different uh, time signatures Uh, Which is kind of like about the war machine, if you will, or, you know, 21st, just the concept, 21st century schizoid, man. And he leans in on it. Robert Fripp has a lawsuit with him. I don't think Fripp did well with it, but people know the song Power. And Greg Lake kind of laughed it off and used it to open his solo concerts. I mean, talk about a sense of humor. He's like, oh, that's me on the song. Ah, you know what? I'll I'll use Kanye West. Why not? And then... If you see the movie *Children of Men*, there's a scene that I guess progressive rock people have to love. Have you seen the movie?
1: I can't remember.
0: So the movie Ooh. is, uh, the is you know, the dystopian future movie where uh, the, the human race stops making children, and Clive Owen um, is summoned oh, to meet. I, I didn't see. That. Yeah, he's summoned to meet with somebody, so he gets in the back of this limo in the future, in the future of the way things are, and as he sits in the limo. It just immediately launches into In the Court of the Crimson King. Da, nah. da, and, and so the song's playing. As he's driving towards the factory, he gets out of the car, and he looks outside the factory, and you see a pig floating over smokestacks. <laughs> I mean, that's designed for progressive mm-hmm. rock freaks, let's face yeah. it. There's nothing There's nothing. That's here. Pink Floyd. Is that the reference? Right Pink yeah. Floyd, yeah. <laughs> so you're seeing animals, Pink Floyd. And you're seeing that, and you're like, oh, wow, look, I'm listening to In the Court of the Crimson King while I'm watching Clive Owen. Look at a pig above a factory. Mm-hmm. Hey, I collided these two songs and album concepts together. It's, it's so just it's a British movie, I would assume, yeah. I think it's a British movie from what I can tell. But, like, little pieces of uh, King Crimson end up in, in little bits and pieces all over the place. Uh, just the instrument, the Mellotron. If you think about the Mellotron being... Uh, it's kind of like, what, reverse tape loops that can kind of produce orchestral keyboard sound? Uh, the Beatles had it, had it. I love Mellotron, but um, I wouldn't know the technology behind Moody it. Blue, <laughs> Moody Blues um, had touched on it. These guys have touched on the Mellotron. It was already there. But the, the deep tone in, in the chord of the Crimson King is as bright as it gets. Mm-hmm. It literally opens with the Mellotron crushing you, just like Epitaph. So the songs where, so ever the Mellotron is dripping all over in the Court of the Crimson King, all over the second album. And then, you know, it shows up where it where it needs to in other versions of King Crimson. But the fact that Robert Fripp played guitar and Mellotron, and it was, you know, like Genesis literally, Tony Banks bought King Crimson's old Mellotron. How did they know to do that? Steven Steve Hackett is watching King Crimson and he's like, oh my god, that's great. And he wants to play like Robert Fripp anyway. In fact, in the strange stories of recent years, uh, Robert Fripp had said by the 1974, when he was like, ah, you know, I think I'm going to end King Crimson. He thought about reaching out to Steve Hackett to replace himself. Not many people do that. Yeah. So you get a guy who goes, "Hey, cool. you know, yeah." Mick Jones does that for four. Well, I places. see, please. Right, <laughs> right. You know what? Mick yeah, Jones perfected
1: it. <laughs> you know, we, we talked about that. I think that's maybe the topic for uh, for another episode. Like, which bands will uh, remain uh, active in twenty years? Like, which seventies bands will uh, become franchise uh, after the members are long gone? Right. And uh, I'm thinking now. Do you think that King Crimson will have uh, potential well, there? So I, Robert think, I mean, they're good, uh, you know, on opposite from Deep Purple or other... Uh, yeah, no important no I, I think when it comes to branding, King Crimson is really good when it comes to branding. Like, even close to Led Zeppelin, it's just that it, it kind of touches the niche, more of a niche market, just because it had uh, Robert Fripp, he had his visions, even though he went through different musical styles, it was always him. True, and he he was really uh, always in control of his intellectual property. Well, so <laughs> he was aware right. of these things. You know? so, I'm sure, I'm sure he's uh, business-wise in, in much better shape than any he, member of Deep Purple ever
0: <laughs> Maybe because he went through some funky times, right? But to answer what you're saying, in Rolling Stone, when and I'm asked, just guessing, I'm just stereotyping. Well, I, I have no idea. This is not based on facts. No, they had this asked is just you. my. My guess. <laughs> they they asked him and they said, Hey, you know, would King Crimson go on without you? And he goes, No. <laughs> so mm-hmm. he gave a finite answer. Now, let's look at some irony in that. While so he that was my question. Right. But he said no, but let's look at how you can have a parallel universe at the same time. In in the early two thousands, when you had the version of King Crimson of Adrian Ballou, um oh, Trey Gunn. You had um, Pat Mastelato and Robert Fripp as a quartet when they made two albums at the same time. There was the band Twenty First Century Schizoid Band, which had Jacko JackoSync oh. in it, and he was using ex-Crimson members. He's like, you know what? I think I'll just get a guitar player, and I'll go get ex-Crimson members. So he was like, hey Ian Wallace, you want to be in the band? Hey Mel Collins? Hey Ian McDonald? He he just was saying, why can't I just have guys from King Crimson and King in my 21st century schizoid band, and he was selling concerts, DVDs, mm-hmm. live albums, wow. and Fripp kind of saw that and he goes, Oh, who's this Jacko guy? Okay? Oh, What's up? He didn't know about it? No, he kind of yeah, was that's, like... That's a soap opera, right? I, I saw... Not, but now they're together, they But you Right, but you can... So, so for him mean, to say it's, it's over... It
1: started with the love, of course, because, I mean, who would do such a tribute if uh, right. there was an enormous love to it? Right. But it's interesting because there's, uh, you know, I guess the, there's a legal side. If Fripp didn't know about it, right? Because it's already picked up. It's uh, I don't
0: know. The thing for it's, bands it's like King Crimson. <laughs> but for King Crimson quality, mm-hmm. if you. Because Fripp said when he saw the uh, Crimson Project live in mm-hmm. 2012, he said that inspired him to, you know, reform King Crimson properly. Because although there were several members of King Crimson on the stage, his quote in recent times was. King Crimson wasn't even in the room. So he was, t- that could have been a slap at Adrian Ballou, uh, at Tony Levin, he had um, Pat Mastelotto. I believe there was a second drummer or, and, and maybe Julie Slick, you know, just a variation of King Crimson music via Adrian Ballou. And, you know, he he took his slap at that saying, okay, that's nice, but that's not King Crimson. And it's fine, he put together a, a solid version of King Crimson. So in the future, with a a frip and I don't wish the man to ever leave us anytime soon you know you need high quality to keep music going and I don't know if cover bands do that because they don't have to do that but example if you are inside an orchestra and you were performing Bach and you were in Arthur Fiedler's uh, orchestra back 40 years ago um, you know a famous conductor if you were going to replace first chair oboe or first chair uh viola wouldn't you have to be damn good so quality in those orchestras when they say hey your first chair and all that stuff yeah that exists in classical music in jazz it exists too i would say it exists in uh, in
1: in rock but but there's i think it's there's a different kind of studio musician scene now than there was before and i think it's getting stronger and stronger so i think uh i think they are not uh not that many places in the world with uh, such a strong, consistent, uh, uh, consistent uh, like studio scene. But for example, Nashville has right. a great scene that is not only connected to country, but like singer, songwriter, rock and roll, even like metal. Right. And these studio musicians are, I think, technical level and many other levels are above many branded and established musicians. Just the thing is like if uh, many of them don't have original story but musicianship level there are people who can play things on like on really really high level, can play anything. Now the thing with the bands like that if there's enough interest uh, like for Pink Floyd I think there's always enough interest even for a few guys, few studio guys to say okay we're gonna do Pink Floyd because I mean we kind of love love the band you know and and we, they can make it happen, but usually people who really make it happen and uh, really make it uh, appealable
0: mm-hmm. uh,
1: to uh, to audience are people who have deep love for these bands and who uh, and who also have skills to to uh, to give that music to the audience. So I think that's what Jacko was uh, was uh, successful in what he did. I yeah, think people felt that, you know.
0: But the skill of, of something unique that twists and turns and you knowing what that special ingredient is that that probably takes some time to bake in because there's a lot of there's a lot of good cover bands King Crimson is just a very unique band because you mentioned let's say Pink Floyd I've seen a Pink Floyd band cover and the guy who did the uh, which one did you see? Uh, the machine or something i it escapes me and that's a problem was that? because it well, wasn't there were so many of those there was stories. one in long island where but but there are a few that are very uh the, the Roger waters very present you know the Roger waters was weak the one you're talking about like the um the australian Australia, the australian Australia pig, and then the brit the brit floyd uh-huh. there's one of the two of them i saw it had year guesting and uh-huh. stuff oh, and it sounded oh. great uh-huh. it sounded great because it's nice to have an institution of music but but the dedication level to music in other words, if, if you have a guy like uh, Richie Blackmore and Wayne Malmsteen saying, hey, I love, you know, Joanne Sebastian Bach, and I that's all I did is listen to him, you take them incredibly seriously because you can hear that it comes out of them, right? Mm-hmm. But people that dedicate all their stuff, Segovia, those kind of guys, as long as it's credible and believable and it oozes out, that's great. Will people do that with... Um, king crimson like dedicate their whole playing life and replace members as needed and find new people dedicated to king crimson music i mean that would be the same kind of thing right see i think as long as uh popular culture kind of as the right. movie that you mentioned right that uh
1: that keeps them alive i think there's always a chance because new generations are coming and if they if pop culture doesn't carry that not enough people will hear from their dads and uh and older siblings you know it's 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 kind of it will be a skip generation you know in in a way plus it's all part of rock and roll and rock and roll is not uh it's gonna become more and more a niche as the time
0: uh, passes by but there were unlikely unlikely bands pop up once in a while that become very successful like mm -hmm. honestly i always thought radiohead was like wow why are they so successful I think their music's good. The same five guys primarily. same five guys, yeah. And don't no change the bands that, uh-huh. but not an obvious band as far as the music. And yeah. not obvious twists and turns. Not obvious, right? I think they have for example that they I would say that they have
1: quality that uh that Cream, King Crimson had. Yeah. To kind of explore their musical uh you know, to go through their musical journey and explore different styles and still uh you know, still be successful successful you know to, to go on and, and more and more successful actually now so it's uh it's really about uh, authenticity <laughs> yeah
0: when you when people like say so brand if, if something like radiohead starts in the early 90s and goes till now you you know no offense to young people because we're not old or young not us no um middle-aged yeah exactly middle-aged. <laughs> but they but there are people that think radiohead's old and they don't listen to it there's this song's even mentioning so i'm just using them as an example as if it's King Crimson, a band that started in 1969 that we dig because we think they have branches into many things, I, I think it would be, I'd, if you going to listen to, let's say Radiohead, I couldn't see you could listen to any era of King Crimson and say you don't see any type of alignment in the musical quality mm-hmm. or the seriousness or the intent. I think you would, right? Mm-hmm. And the reason I'm picking up because King Crimson is an obvious music. It's not obvious, hit you over the head pop music. And it's, um, you have to dig to get the the more relaxed, um, accessible songs in King Crimson. Uh, I'm just using Radiohead just to grab something off the shelf quick, but similar. If you mm-hmm. like the introspective music, and you like it going into places, and you like side projects, then, then King Crimson's for you, definitely. Oh, if you're of a, if you're of, a, of any can, age, I came to King Crimson through side projects. You know, as I came
1: to many bands, <laughs>
0: mm-hmm.
1: to, to, to many other bands. You know, so that's what. Uh, that's what brought me. You uh, you listen to King Crimson firsthand, so that's the, that's the thing. But for example, here's a, here's a funny uh, funny connection. Uh, the band Sticks had this uh, keyboard player Dennis DeYoung. Yes. And he actually uh, said that King Crimson, the first album, was uh, inspiration. Very unlikely inspiration for his song. And I think it was a song called The Lady, which was very kind of poppy. Very. And, uh, it and was very.
0: Yeah, it was the song Lady. And yeah. it was their pop thing that made Tommy Shaw go, what, are you kidding me? It, you know, it It was from before, you know, that, that's a song called Babe, also for his wife, yeah. But it. he said, he, he said that it was inspired by. La- uh, lady. Oh, I mean, that's what you're talking about. Yeah, the one with like. That's Lady. Uh-huh where there's like dun, duh, 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 duh. Yeah, yeah so, that, that's so oh, I, yeah. I didn't end this like about saying like yeah so was that's it probably late their, their second was it's late. very very old uh
1: old, old sticks it's before right
0: before tommy
1: show came i think
0: right the, tommy was, show yeah. was a later edition who came uh-huh. in and and so a lot of people yeah i think you can be inspired from king crimson and you don't have to be king crimson mm-hmm. or you can then, take your stuff in another direction and then important part, richard blackmore he would always state Robert Fripp
1: as uh, one of his favorite guitarists. Right. And even in his uh, in his commercial peak with Deep Purple, like, like maybe 1973, 1974, in the interviews, he would say that uh, technically he can do anything that almost anybody on scene, music scene, could do at, at that time. But he said uh, the person that he who's playing he doesn't understand, but he appreciates so much is uh, Robert Fripp, in, in the most positive way. So.
0: And then and and the most funny alternative to that, when Robert Fripp, who played on Heroes from David Bowie, when they, when they, they said, okay, when I say they, meaning like Tony Visconti or whoever mm-hmm. was working on Scary Monsters, mm-hmm. they're like, okay, you know, he's like, okay, what do you want me to do? They go, well, we want you to play like Richie Blackmore. <laughs> and and hearing it in his uh, in his accent, he goes, They told me to play like Richie Blackmore.
1: I mean it's, it's just... oh, that's great connection. And then Tony Visconti, who I appreciate a lot, is and for me not, not I mean of course worked with Bobby and everything, but then uh worked with Tim Lizzie and then now you're connected to, with Robert Fripp, so everybody really was so connected in the 70s. Did, I think really it all, it all makes sense, it all comes together.
0: Did, you can make, like, the thing we dig are bands with huge connections. We did another episode on, let's say, YD Deep Purple, now this is why King Crimson. Then you get to the 90s, and there's no King Crimson in the beginning of the 90s. There was Robert Fripp and David Sylvian. Which was secretly kind of King Crimson. Mm. Fripp wanted it to be the next King Crimson and then there were some little legal disputes with Adrian Belew and Bill Bruford and and um David Sylvian's like, I'm not I'm not gonna replace the legendary singers you had. So Fripp's like, fine, we'll just make new music and call it that. I remember when Metallica cut their hair and made the load album and the interview, now they're on back when people read interviews in magazines. And they're like, you know, say, hey, what have you guys been listening to? What have you been doing? And they go, We've mostly listening to what Robert Fripp and Adrian Ballou were doing as a two-guitar attack in King Crimson. Like that's what we're listening to. That's what we're paying attention to. So you name the connection, you name the relevance. It's there whether you wanna you wanna find it or not, because Adrian Ballou's showing up on um, Nine Inch Nails albums, you know, things like that. It's it's like you could just go. And I know some people say, well, isn't that a tangent? Or are you just doing footnotes? I'm like, not really. These are important things. These are important things. Essential things. Essential things. But But, you better know. But you're also listening, (laughs) and you're you're hearing things and not even know you're hearing them. But you know, like, the the shape of things to come. I saw Robert Fripp at the World Trade Center do a solo Soundscapes concert. And as I'm sitting there... um, out of all the soundscaping he's doing and soundscaping is his atmospheric guitar technique that it's just him being very emotive and letting his sound fly all over the place and you, you could think it's a synthesizer or an orchestra but you know it's his mm-hmm. it's a, a modern version of his He's he slows down for a little bit and he plays the line from Starless and when he played that guitar riff from Starless it made people think oh why is he doing that? Is having King Crimson's come back and it kind of really was true because in 2010 he did the uh, the, the Jacko Jacko Fripp and Mel Collins album, which had uh, you know Tony Levin and Gavin Harrison on it from Porcupine Tree, and then all of a sudden after now this is 2010 I'm seeing Fripp do this, and then all of a sudden boom 2014 back in service with a with a big eight piece version of the group, and they did Starless. So I felt like you know he wasn't doing King Crimson riffs in his. Solo stuff, right? He was kind of saying, "Hey, shape of things to come," which is a wonderful thing. But things come back, I think.
1: I mean, he always kind of went through his musical journey, you know, to explore new places. But uh, I think, uh, I think he's a fan of King Crimson too. <laughs> so that's why he came back. <laughs> he's afraid. He's he's a, a, the, he's, a,
0: he's, a, he's like sitting outside it's, his it's own room.
1: It's it's something to be proud. Of. I mean, proud of, him, I think he is. So so that's great. It's, we're gonna, it's a great...
0: we're gonna deal with our. Uh, Podcast. We're going to do different uh, playlists that accompany some of this because, you know, we're not going to we're not going to put music and have people stop listening to us. good well, could with that be?
1: Yeah, actually, yeah. I I suggest everybody to stop listening to us, and start <laughs> listening to music. I mean, yeah. right? This but is what what we love uh, we'll do doing when we when we get together. But uh, the point is, listen to music, discover anything you hear about, write it down. Listen, right. listen to that, uh, Adrian W. Guests, uh, guesting on uh,
0: Nine Inch Nails. Yeah, uh, like, you, there's hmm. things that are gonna come. We'll come back to different. I mean, thing is, you know, focus on a band and then maybe revisit them differently, with a different period, but make it make sense for uh you folks, the listeners. And we have fun talking about it. And we will revisit this King Crimson again. On catch the roundabout. <laughs>